0: Hey everybody, Dr. Chris Griffin, and uh, today we're going to finish up our interview with the one and only Chris Moriarty of Productive Dentist Academy, and he's even going to put me on the case acceptance troubleshooting psychologist couch for a while and see if he can help me through some problems we're having in my practice, right? So stay tuned, because I have a feeling a lot of you guys are feeling the same pinches that we are here in this practice, and he is an amazing guy when it comes to talking about Things like case acceptance and uh, really where a dentist mind needs to be to, uh, to get good percentages in that area. So stay tuned. We're going to do that. And hey, if you haven't joined our Facebook group yet for the podcast, we're really starting to drop some really cool stuff in there. We've got some videos of some lectures. I've uh, dro- dropped some really cool slides of some marketing materials that I made for the uh, Georgia Dental Society uh, we made some marketing materials when we started doing SDF in our practice, and uh, just I'm I'm just dumping some really cool stuff in there. So if you want to be part of that, if you're a friend of the show, just hop on in. The link to join that is on the is on the page, uh, the podcast page drchrisgriffin.com, uh, and yeah, we'd love to have you. And um, just just hold on, and we're gonna get to the interview with Chris Moriarty right after this.
1: Welcome to the Dr. Chris Griffin Show, your resource for leveraging systems and technology to ease your workload, increase productivity, and provide you with the time off you deserve to live the life of your dreams. It's time to practice productivity and the passionate pursuit of a better life with your host, Dr. Chris Griffin. The doctor is in.
0: You know, if you practice down here, you got to. It's some special challenges. Um, it's not a you know like I think it over fifty percent of the county I live in they're on Medicaid, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know like I wish I could do a lot more implants, but you know I hear that every day. There, like I could sell my my. I want to talk to you about case presentation rate too because I know that's one of your sure. specialties, but but like it is, I'm sell I can sell. I would say my close rate would be in the upper nineties. Until they ask the price, and then and then and then, oh, my, and then my close rate pur- hurdles down to earth. Um, and the reason I know it's good because, like, uh, every so often, I have doctors they come to watch us. And you know, when doctors are here, you want your day to be really full and productive. Oh, absolutely. And like, absolutely. Like, like our goal is, we want to produce like twelve thousand in four hours just to show them it can be done. And mm-hmm. uh, and so. Like for a month before, we'll be, you know, I'll be talking to patients. Oh, yeah, yeah, I want that, I want that, and uh, and I say, and listen, if you come in and get it done this day, can you if you can come on a Friday, come on, I'll do it for half price. And like it's my close rate on that is a hundred percent nearly. And uh, but but when I'm charging full price, it's not nearly that good. So you you probably could help me a little bit, Chris.
1: Well, I'd I'd certainly like to try and that's where a lot of the times and whether it's the owner doctor themselves I actually did it did not get published Um, I did a little ad hoc study just from the data that I could amass from our Existing clientele and folks who've come through before there is an inverse correlation (laughs) A measurable inverse correlation between the amount of letters behind your name and the amount of money you have in the bank where you have these the best clinicians in the country Um, are typically the ones who are struggling the most. And of course, it comes down to verbal skills. It comes down to what the patient can appreciate. And unfortunately, um, it's really difficult for patients to participate in in the things that we find to be amazing in dentistry. So we kind of have to speak their language. And again, I have the benefit and I have the luxury of, of, of both learning and studying what people are doing outside of dentistry and bringing it in. What dentistry doesn't do is mirror traditional consumer behavior and that's where we have a really hard time and this is where dentists have a high amount of frustration where they don't understand why the person with maybe not in your area or where i grew up but people with you know a full arm of tattoos 200 dollar jeans a 100 dollar shirt a brand new iphone you know making their car payments and they're balking at you know, your crown fees or whatever it is and here's how I explain it to people fundamentally. And then we'll kind of get into how we can, some specific tactics on how folks can handle it. Um, your brain, as I mentioned, my, my transition from economics to behavioral economics, this is one of the big things that helped me change my mind. Um, uh, folks may or may not know, we just had a, uh, another child. Uh, he's five months old, now little Brecken. But, but let's say that um, I was gonna go down and I needed to get Brecken some new shoes. And I uh, went down to the store and the uh, shoes are $60 because for some reason, baby shoes are $60 because hmm. uh, I don't know why. Anyway, let's say we're in the store and the gentleman uh, there is he's, he's just a cool dude. He's, he's helping me out and he says, you know what? These same shoes are actually $40 just down the street. More than likely, I'd say, hey, cool, man. That's awesome, thank you. I'd go down the street and I'd probably get those shoes for $40 now let's say i'm in a good mood uh, summer's right around the corner so i want to get some uh, new patio furniture so i go down to home depot and uh, i see the patio furniture that i want and oh my gosh same guys working there wow same cool dude and he says hey the price here is thousand sixty dollars but you know what right down at lowe's it's only a thousand and forty hmm, how about that now when i ask people this what i'm setting them up for in that first scenario the vast majority of people say they would change their behavior. They would leave that store and go to the next. However, when it's 1,060 down to 1,040, they wouldn't. Their behavior would not change. They more than likely would just purchase the furniture right where they were because that's where they were. Now to an economist, that makes no sense because it was $20 in the first scenario. It's $20 in the second scenario and it doesn't matter. $20 is $20. The acquisition value, The opportunity cost of $20 is exactly the same in both scenarios, but we know from a behavioral standpoint, people would change in one circumstance, they would not change in the other. So people will make all these arguments for it. Like they'll say, oh, it's a bigger percentage of the purchase price, so it's a better deal and yada, yada, yada. At the end of the day, it's still $20, so it doesn't matter. The reason I tell this story is because of what are called heuristics and bias that our our brain does. There is no way that we can have all the information we need to make great decisions in all the scenarios that are presented day in and day out. So your brain takes shortcuts. And especially when it comes to spending and buying, it creates buckets, right? So these buckets exist in all portions of life. We know about what we wanna spend for a car payment. If you're drinking beer at home, if you drink cheap beer like I do, beer at home costs me 60 cents a can. But if I go to a baseball game, I know that my bucket has changed at the baseball game. How much am i am going to pay there? $8, $12, some ridiculous amount for the exact same beer. But I'm not upset. I knew that. I've got a bucket for that. And my favorite bucket is what's called Vegas money, right? And Vegas money, of course, is um, the money that we give ourselves permission to burn, right? Money that can go away. We can give ourselves permission for bad behavior. And we can throw this money and not feel bad about it. And the question I ask is, could Vegas money buy medication for your children? And they will go, uh, now they just feel bad for having Vegas money. I go, but that's not the point. What the point is when you, when it comes to dentistry, there is no bucket. There's no bucket that anybody has anything over nothing is going to be perceived as more expensive than they wanted to pay. And don't even get me into the joke that, you know, in the the ridiculous situation that dental insurance has gotten us into. um, And I can tell you exactly how I handle that as well, but knowing all of these things, knowing that these patterns are going to be what they are, that gives me my power. That gives me my predictability. First scenario, phone rings. And are you are you fee-for-service, PPO? What what do you do in your practice
0: specifically? Who, me? Yeah. Are you doing a role play? Okay. <laughs> well, well, not do, that, uh, just, in, in, just out of curiosity. I'm about, 60, uh, I'm about 60, 40 PPO to fee-for-service.
1: So we know that 100% of the time that when the PPO folks are calling in, their first question is going to be, do you take my insurance, right? We right. know that. Now I've seen this handled in a million different offices in a million different ways. Um, usually, it's they're going to backpedal. Jay Geier is going to say, "Take, tell them whatever it takes, you know, to get them in here." There's all these different tactics. Mine's really simple. When a patient says, "Do you take my insurance?" What I coach offices to ask is, "Is cost your primary concern?" Now, most people with insurance they're calling because and they're asking that question because they don't know what else to ask right but what I want to do is get to number one why why have all the dentists in the world are they are they calling you to begin with what are they trying to have done I want to get more information so they have there's two things they could say is cost your primary concern yes it is you know what we my husband just got laid off we've got a toothache there's something we're we're trying to figure out what to do it's a very real scenario that could happen or they could say well no not necessarily then you are going to do you're not even gonna let them finish sometimes gonna say well it's cost your primary concern well, well the reason I ask is XYZ did you call today because of whatever whatever and it's a real easy way to get off that topic put the focus back on the patient for what they're trying to accomplish what this usually does is lead me to my next tactic which is called um, attribute priming attribute priming is backs right into this and it came from a study that was done in a computer store where half the people that were coming in were stopped and they said, uh, "Okay, real quick, one question survey: Are you coming in today to buy a computer based on speed? Yes or no." The second group comes in. They say, "Are you coming in today to buy a computer based on memory? Yes or no." That was it. Well, the people who they were asked the speed question to bought faster computers. The people who were asked the memory question bought memories, but excuse me, bought computers with more memory. So when the patient calls in, do you take my insurance? Is cost your primary concern? Well, let me ask you real quick. Did you call our office today because we're known for our quality? Attribute priming. And I tell offices, pick whatever does you want to be known for. If you want to be known for high tech, did you call us today because we're known for our technology? If you want to be an offer of comfort, did you call us today because we're known for our comfortable surroundings? Or, or whatever it is, insert that there. And quality is the easy one because things that are of high quality, do they cost more or do they cost less? Obviously, they cost more. The best example for any gentleman listening is the old jewelry store, right? I don't know anything about jewelry. All I know is that the good stuff's expensive and the bad stuff's not. And depending on what I did or how mad my wife is, I might need some good stuff, right? So I'm I'm priming the pump because it doesn't do me any good to market to train wrecks or market to people who need high levels of dentistry, get them all the way to the chair just to be disappointed. That does nobody any good. So all the way along, I'm planting these little seeds. I'm planting these little mechanisms to make life easier when it gets to the chair. Um, there's a million different hey, sort can, of little, I uh, out.
0: can oh, I right. interject something real quick? Oh, please do. I'm, 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 am ra- ranting and raving. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so what I heard, let me translate this. Cause you're like, you know, you're high level. Let me translate this for all of my people <laughs> who are used to listening to me and I, me break it down to Mississippi level of, uh, uh, intelligence here. So what ha- what you've done is if, if at Obamacare and all these insurance companies, they have tried, I think intentionally tried to put it in people's brains that healthcare should cost zero. Okay. And right. so you're saying, and so then when we tell people you need a crown it's 750 bucks, thousand bucks, 1200 bucks, whatever it is, then they're thinking, Oh my gosh, that's $1,200 more than zero. There's no way I'm going to pay that. But, exactly. but by you asking that question, when people call, uh, by the time they get to the office, their mind has already started building the bucket, like you said, that allows them to think, okay, I know there's going to be a cost here. Exactly. And uh, and so, like you said, every time you drop a little seed, it kind of increases the the width of the mouth of the bucket until by the time you get to talking to them, chair size, the doctor. Now, instead of being Mr. Jerk Bad Guy, because President Obama said health care should be mm-hmm. free. Now you got a little leeway where you can actually be the good guy and you maybe can help them out a little bit less expensively than what they might have expected even. So is that, well, and is part that right?
1: of it? You're dead on. In fact, let's uh, let's use an example that we've done for um, a doctor by the name of Dr. Peter Thompson, who's in Portales, New Mexico, um, poorest town in the poorest county in the, arguably the poorest state in the country, uh, produces right around you about 200,000 a month by himself, right? He's gotta motivate patients from pretty darn far away. Now, Pete is a lot like Bruce in the fact that he markets for train wrecks, right? He markets, he wants to do very big cases and that's helpful for us because nobody's gonna drive 50 miles to get their teeth cleaned, but they'll absolutely drive well beyond that uh, for the person who can help them with their situation. Now, again, driving that far, people don't know there is no bucket they have no frame for what this could potentially cost so now he's in a very rural area obviously so when folks call in off of one of these campaigns and we know it's going to be a big case we want to put it in their language right so we'll say um you know they'll walk us through we'll figure out kind of what they're looking to do and we'll just say hey let me ask you a question around here like trucks are king I love the new f-150 what kind of truck do you love and we'll say, oh man I really like I love the new uh, f-250 or whatever it may be and say so, well I got to tell you You know, for the type of dentistry that we're talking about, it's basically going to be like putting an F two hundred and fifty in your mouth. Now, good news is, as we do it all the time, there's a million different ways that we can help you. But now again, I've I've spoken their language a little bit, right? I put this into a frame that they can understand. So it's not going to be a shock. Now that's Pete Thompson, right? Where we need to have that expectation for the average bear off the street. I don't necessarily want to put that imagery in their mind, but if somebody needs, $40,000 Forty thousand dollars worth of dentistry. I I need to prepare them the whole way through. Um, in fact, this, this this is kind of interesting when it comes to it comes to framing. I see dentists all the time who get um, they get swept up in new technology. Like they love it. They get so they are really willing to do it. What they don't necessarily do is look at how many of their patients need it, how many people are even asking for it, and so on. But one of the best examples, if you do bring a new piece of technology in. Um, Go through your the old filing cabinet or digitally or whatever you got and figure out how much meat's on the bone from what you have, and you're going to start priming the pump. Um, not a big Steve Jobs fan, really, but he did do one thing that was brilliant uh, years ago that fall right in line with some of my philosophies and tactics, where when the iPad was coming out, Steve Jobs was running around, and all he kept saying was, there's nothing like this that's out there. It's going to be brand new. like You've never seen anything like it. Um, the experts are telling us that it's going to cost around $1,000. Now, if you bought Apple products, $1,000 was pretty much in line with, uh, with most of the stuff, so it wasn't outrageous. But here's the problem, right? He knows that by introducing something brand new, people don't know if it's a good deal or a bad deal, right? You have nothing to anchor that decision based on if it's brand new, which much of dentistry is. So he runs around the country, and you can actually Google it and track it. He keeps saying the same thing over and over. The experts think it's gonna cost about $1,000. The experts think it's gonna cost around $1,000 over and over and over. So you get to the event where he unveils the iPad and the price you could get into one for $500. So what did people do? They bought two because what they'd done is they were prepared to get the new thing. They had prepared themselves a new bucket of $1,000. They had given themselves permission to spend, but rather than spending half, They filled that bucket because psychologically, they'd already given themselves permission to do so. So now let's say that you've got a lot of people with um, diagnosed uh, perio and whatever it is. Uh, There could be a million things in dentistry where all of a sudden I'm going to reach back through. I'm going to see a dental intel makes this easy. There's a lot of technologies that make this easy where I can go out and find these people that are just sitting out there. Start giving them some phone calls, start shooting some emails or whatever it is, and say, hey, I think I got something that, that could help you. I don't know yet. We're still doing some fact-finding, but I think we're going to be able to do that smile procedure, whatever it is, for, for right around here. Just hang tight, just hang tight. Then I'll go through, go through the training, get all my stuff, and now when I come back, see who wakes that up and track them, put them in a click funnel, whatever it may be, and then when the big reveal comes in, I get to call back, and here's the here's the mistake that people make, is they'll, they'll go ahead and say, Wow, we thought that was going to be $1,000. Sounds like it's actually going to be about 700 And then they stop. And I go, that's not the point. We've we've established an anchor. We've established this bucket of $1,000. You need to fill the bucket. So say, hey, actually, that procedure is actually only going to be about $700, which means we have enough room in the budget now to do the whitening as well. See the difference? I didn't just take it down from $1,000 to $700. I went to the thing that they wanted to 700, but I filled the bucket with something else. And it is so easy in terms of, it's not an upsell, it's something else that they wanted. You just take these little paths, do it a little bit differently, and all of a sudden, things are happening. And, uh, and again, some of this stuff might sound difficult to implement, it's really not. There's like five things, each of them has a sentence. Like it's it's so easy to get things turning on this level. But it's again, look outside of dentistry who's doing it really well and do what they do. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the basic premise here. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Hey, well, you know, you said that you're not a huge fan of Steve Jobs, but did you know Steve Jobs was kind of the inspiration for my new um, incentive system for dental prices?
1: Oh, and I'm not saying he had no good ideas. I'm just saying that he stole a lot of good ideas and didn't give certain people credit.
0: Well, so, like, no, that's not, yeah, no, yeah, so I you, you steal from him all day. <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, you know, I know, uh, man, I don't even know how long we've been talking. Uh, how long we've been talking? A while. Uh, about an hour. About an hour. That's good. Well, hey, uh, so listen, I know this is going to go out. Would you like to hear my incentive system on how we use the Steve Jobs stuff to get stuff done with dental practice? Absolutely. I mean, you got to imagine. It, it's a hot topic. <laughs> Well, it is actually. Hey, listen, uh, I I couldn't believe it was really well received at the Dental Town meeting. It's the first time you I had, had officially it. presented it, and so uh, I I didn't know I didn't know if it was going to go over well or not. But uh, so the Steve Jobs story is, uh, of course, you know you've watched all the movies. So he you know he did he created Apple, then he got kicked out. While he's kicked out, he needed something to do, so he bought Pixar, right? Mm -hmm. I was Pixar and Pixar had been populated by a lot of guys who had Disney training. And and one guy in particular named John Lasseter, who was uh, like a Disney freak. He loved Walt Disney's teachings and stuff. And and the reason he got kicked out of Disney was because he was pushing Disney to, um, he was pushing Disney to go to computer generated graphics uh, back in the late eighties. Right. turns out he was right, but Disney didn't want to do it. He got kicked out. So then he's at Pixar, he's their head honcho, and and Jobs buys Pixar, and Jobs becomes like best friends with John Lasseter at Pixar. And so for a decade, of course, they made Pixar into this huge, amazing company. And uh, then Jobs gets the call, he goes back to Apple. He took a lot of those Walt Disney concepts that he learned at Pixar with him back to Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly enough, after he went back with those concepts, Apple stock, you know, went through the roof um all of silicon valley just exploded trying to follow his lead and then interestingly disney actually saw the light bought pixar and made john lasseter their uh, chief uh chief animation officer right so it was a, you know it all turned around but jobs um he sort of took a lot of those disney concepts and he matched them up with this system called scrum which was sort of an an engineering system, and it's something that um, had been in the Valley, but he made it a lot better. And so the Scrum system, I kind of took that, the jobs version of it, and I tried to modify it for dental practices. And so the concept I was trying to get at was, you know, of course, you coach dental practices. I've coached dental practices. I've gone to dental seminars. I've come home with notebooks full of amazing ideas. (laughs) And what happens with those notebooks? I put them on the shelf, they get dusty and the back, usually when I take a seminar notebook, the last two or three pages, it's all just like brainstorm ideas. And so like you could take my notebooks and you could start 20 or 25 businesses if you had the manpower off the (laughs) ideas and and my notebooks, right? So, but if you take those and you take your ideas and whatever you've taught somebody, like you give them some steps they need to do, it's always a challenge to get the staff to change. Uh, they don't, lean you know, naturally. Change doesn't come natural to them, and so to implement a new product, to implement a new product, uh, or new, uh, not a product, but implement a new system or anything you want to do, there's a lot of little steps. So we'll take a big project and we will chunk it down into bite-sized tasks, and we have a board. We call it the Silicon Valley board, and uh, it's really uh, like if you have much of an engineering background at all, there's a, there's a, the Japanese have a process called Kanban. Uh, and so it's like, I was just going to say like a Kanban board. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do doing (laughs) done. So we've added like a couple of columns on it, but basically it's projects and then you need to do it. You are doing it. You're now you're done with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, uh, so we put those bite sized tasks on the left side of the board and here's where it gets interesting. So nowadays in my practice and all the practices we coach, instead of giving people perpetual, everlasting bonuses that make people miserable, and turn into monsters, you can't ever take them away. Now we, we actually have, we try to get practices, take at least one hour a week to work the board, but we do actually a whole morning. We do, we do a whole morning every week. Uh, My staff does, they work the board. And so we actually place a dollar amount on these small tasks. Mm-hmm. And so we have the the people, they still get paid the regularly hourly, but while they're working the board, they're also getting these projects done for us. They're receiving a monetary bonus for getting each bite-sized chunk of the project done. Uh, we have, of course, one person overseeing it. They call them a scrum master in the books. We call it a practice promoter. But anyway, one person just sort of keeps this board flowing, telling people, oh yeah, here, you know, maybe some you should take this task or whatever. And uh, you know, they ask people questions every every Thursday when they work on it. They say, "Are you are you going to meet your deadline? Uh, how can I help you? And uh, you have any challenges?" And and so that you know, the board just every Thursday in my practice, we just get more and more accomplished, and we never would have done that until we started this. And so we've been teaching it to practices for about a year now, and uh, not everybody not everybody grasps it but the ones that do uh, and mm-hmm. it's the best received thing i've ever taught by the way the ones that do absolutely. grasp it i mean they love it and the doctors love it because they can reward their teams now the practice of getting stuff done that never would have gotten done because you never took time away from treating patients just to work on the practice mm-hmm. and uh, and so it's just really been a big win-win for everybody so that's that's our Steve Jobs uh, Silicon Valley bonus system in a nutshell. It's not really a bonus because like, it's not based off production collections, well, it's
1: incentive, yeah.
0: but it certainly incentivizes. And to me, it's the most powerful thing we've ever come up with. Well, and
1: what's what I love about it is it places the incentive on where it needs to be, which is not the past, but the future. Meaning that we can reward you for things that have already happened. Or I can place the incentive on the things that are going to make us great and allow us to grow beyond where we are today. You know what I mean? So, are you guys using an actual physical board, or using software like Asana or Airtable or anything like that?
0: Well, so, so we actually use a physical board because, like, that's the Walt Disney part. I like, that that I like. better. Like a yeah, storyboard. Like it, yeah, it's almost like a storyboard. So it's always there. It's always a reminder. Uh, I actually have one that's not the team one. I have one in my office that's just for my personal projects because every time I walk out of my office, I can have a visual reminder, hey, you need to be sure you get this done by this deadline. Uh, staring right at you. know, it. so yeah. Now we do, co- when we coach practices for three months, we have them put their physical board on Trello also so that we can mm-hmm. log in and watch them and help them, you know, off, you know, off site. But the physical board to me is really important.
1: Well, I think they're, it's absolutely brilliant, and, and most of why I'm so attracted to this idea is because of who owns it, meaning that the doctor can come in and certainly get the ball rolling, but i got to imagine that once people start filling that thing in, it's got to take on a life of its own. And i got to imagine what makes that even more powerful is the people who are closest to the project and spend the most time with patients um, are going to fill in some gaps. They're going to make those tweaks and adjustments to have this thing really come alive. And it's, I got to, it probably starts off as Project X, but then by the time it comes out on the other end, I got to imagine it's well, well enriched. Is that, that's got to happen, oh, right?
0: Absolutely. And uh, so you got, and then also, like, if you're looking, like, uh, my, practice promoter who's in charge of the board, she keeps a master list of 100 projects at any given time. Now that's my job to help her keep this notebook of future projects full. Right. Right. Uh, but, but like we always, if, if nothing else, we've got this, uh, we call it our big red book of systems. So everything in our practice we do is in this giant three ring binder. And so we write policies for how to do stuff. And so let's say you've got, you've got a, an assistant that's not super strong at taking uh, 3d x-rays for implants, right? Because not everybody's great at that. So we, we actually right. would encourage, we would make a task to write the policy for how to do a 3D scan. We'd like place a value of 40 bucks on it. And uh, and like Lupita, who's my practice promoter, she might encourage the weakest assistant who's the weakest at doing 3D x-ray scans to, to write that policy. And when she's through writing that policy... She does it with screenshots and pictures and everything. It's really awesome. And when she's through writing that mm-hmm. policy, now she's no longer the weakest. She might be the strongest at taking the three D scans. So that's that's Absolutely. another way. To, yeah.
1: Well, at any point, we we tell everybody basically the same thing that I could probably bring any office in the country up to six fifty an hour, but you're going to be hard pressed to get a dollar beyond that without fully utilizing that team or a high level of delegation because they're capable of way more than number one you think. And they've got ideas that can blow the roof off of this thing. There is one Steve job quotes that I quote, quote that I, that I do love. And he said, I don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. I hire smart people to tell me what to do. And um, right along those same lines. I don't, I don't know many billionaires, but since you mentioned it earlier, I do know one and it's uh, the founder of Best Buy, Dick Schultz, a buddy of mine works with him. So we go back to Minnesota, we get to hang out a little bit, but I, I bring this up when it comes to the team and what they're possible for as we travel you know sooner or later you forget your headphones or something and of course best buy in all the airports now has those vending machines right the idea for those actually came from a new employee orientation years ago where they asked everybody, and she just worked in a store somewhere, was just gonna like run a cash register or something. They asked her, hey, what are things that Best Buy could be doing to grow and better serve our customers? So she wrote that on there. She said, you should have vending machines in airports because I always forget my headphones or whatever it was. was. And from this one person in this Fortune 50 company or wherever they are now, um, wound up coming through with an idea that helped Best Buy survive in an environment, in an economy where Circuit City and many of their competitors did not. So we use the expression, and this is, of course, probably encapsulates our relationship. The best idea wins. I don't care where it comes from. And that's why I want people to, to listen to you. I want them to listen to us. I want them to listen to people who are walking the walk, because at the end of the day, I don't care if it's the, the janitor. I don't care if it's an assistant. I don't care who it comes from you know, everyone deserves the right to be successful. So, uh, I've had so much fun today. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Oh man. And then, uh, likewise, Chris, it's been, uh, it's been really cool. You know, you would think, uh, of course we'll see each other at conferences and whatnot. Uh, but you would think that as like-minded as we are, some of these days we might end up having some fun and doing some projects together. Who knows? You never know.
1: Oh, well, the sky's the limit. The sky is the limit. But, uh, again, I thank you and to all the listeners that are out there, um, thank you so much for just seeking out knowledge from, uh, from the people that have it, you know, uh, so many folks just, they sit or it's too late. You know, the fact that they're out here and learning, is always going to separate you. So anything the PDA can do at the Productive Dentist Academy, certainly reach out. Uh, but again, thank you. Thank you for, uh, For finally getting this off my bucket list. Okay. All
0: right, man. All right, everybody. That was Chris Moriarty, Productive Dentist Academy. Uh, Reach out to him. If you, Hey, how do they reach? Like you got like a contact or something, Chris? Absolutely. My, my email is
1: super simple. It's just Chris at productive dentist.com or visit our website, of course, at productive dentist.com to look at our events, marketing, coaching, all the, all the good stuff that we're doing. Uh, One of the things that I do offer for um, anybody who hears us in a podcast um, is a free practice assessment. Um, we'll sync with dental intel or whatever it is. Um, typically, it gets a little crazy, but it's amazing kind of what we can find. And as I mentioned, practices usually aren't broken. It's just a couple of shifts here, a couple of shifts there, make life a little easier and uh, and get back to spend more time doing what we love.
0: All right, man. Well, it's been awesome talking to you. Everything you said, I believe, is probably close to 100% right. And uh, if you ever need anything from me, you just holler at me, okay?
1: Oh, don't think I won't, man.
0: Appreciate it. All right, man. It's great talking to you. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. We appreciate you joining
1: us for this episode of the Dr. Chris Griffin show. Be sure to visit drchrisgriffin.com for the latest resources and updates to keep you more productive every single day you're at the practice. So when you're not working, you can do the things that matter most in life. We look forward to having you join us for another episode of The Chris Griffin Show, where the doctor is always in.